0: been wrestling with purpose what was i created for i'm more than what you see on the surface see beneath my skin and scars i'm skinned and scarred marred and twisted scarred by the past i need to be lifted and sometimes i question my own existence what was i put here for In my seams, it seems that there seems to be more. It's like I'm a light, unplugged from the socket. I mean, do I really exist to put money in my pocket? This nine to five feels like a nine to nine. My mind entwined, I pass the time. Life circles me as I wait. What is my estate? I feel like I was made for something great and yet I can't quite put my finger on it. But when I look at my fingers and I see their design, I realize I'm one of a kind and something created me. No, someone created me and that someone made me for a reason. Even clear the past years have been treason. I still sense this drawing, this calling that even in the midst of my falling, there was someone who died to pick me up someone who rose to fix me up someone who's coming back to lift me up and that someone is jesus see god made me for a purpose and when i delight in him it's brought to the surface
1: i want to start today by saying exactly what he just said and that is only god can bring your best purpose to the surface amen And I think whenever we talk about God, a lot of times people have their own interpretation of what that means, whether that's A man that stands in the garments of the priesthood or whether that's a man who um, is their pastor or they go through someone to get to God I want you to know when I talk about God I'm talking about the God that speaks to every single human being to their heart and their life a God who does not have to walk through a medium because he came as Jesus Christ and he died for us and when he died he rent the veil from the top to bottom to say there wasn't just one person that could come in once a year and offer sacrifice to me everyone is welcome amen and so what I have to tell you is that we're not only made for a moment in time made for God's design in his is his plan to use every one of our lives but we have to also realize that he's directing every one of our steps the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord the scripture says and so then his purpose is very important Because we have to understand that when we define what the purpose is for our life, nothing can keep us from fulfilling it. There's a few things that have attacked my personal life over the years, and all of those things I look at as not being what necessarily hindered me, but what actually propelled me into my purpose, because it's what taught me, it's what designed me, it's what chiseled away what I had in my life that I didn't need to go where God wanted me to go. I'm standing here today in a suit, not because I'm clean and perfect, but I'm standing here today because I am being perfected by Jesus Christ christ and so therefore my perfection walk with jesus christ is not one where i don't have problems i don't have situations but every single problem that i have has a purpose now in my life because jesus makes all things good amen in fact the scripture says that he works all things together for good to them that love god and are called according to to his purpose. So I want you to initially know that we are a tripart being body, soul, and spirit. And our spirit is constantly feeding. Our spirit never shuts off and stops taking in what's going on around us in life. The spirit of man never stops feeding, we're always taking in what's around us. And so we as individuals have to understand the importance of that because. We have the collection of things we've gathered in life that stay with us. I don't know if you've ever had something happen to you that really changed your life, but we are basically a container. We are different vessels. And so the scripture talks in Esther 4 and 5 that there is something important that we must do with our lives, that each one of us is designed to do a purpose. In the story of Esther, you may know it. I'm not going to talk about it much today, but let me give you just a rough overview of the story so that you understand and I I have an illustration I'd like to share with you about what I feel it's like to be a parent to help children and guide children today as we look at the dedication today of Micah Dean and I'm thinking as a pastor that it's important that I talk about some things regarding our life and parenting and making our next generation fit for the moment that God has for them. It's really necessary in all of our lives to come to a place where we realize that God must be in our life. Simply put, we are designed as worshipers. There's no other way that I can say it. We are designed to worship something. You'll either worship God, or you'll worship your bank account, or you'll worship the car you drive, or you'll worship the person in the relationship with you, or you'll worship something. We are built as worshipers. You'll worship your favorite sports team. You'll worship something. So therefore, you have to decide what is it you're going to worship, and you have to decide what is worthy of your worship. And once you define that, you know that nothing in life is worthy of your worship save a God who is almighty who creates heaven and earth who is able to change and define your life and is able to direct your heart and your life and even your steps that God is worthy of all of your worship amen and so when you, you set that in your life, you realize that the blessings that flow from God flow to other generations after you. And so you know that what you've lived that has been good needs to be passed on to the next generation. And Therefore, the scripture gives us in Proverbs 22 and 6 a charge as parents. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Yes, you should train a child the best ways to go. Amen? Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the Bible says when he is old, he, is, he will not depart from it. I had a pastor used to say that if you train them right when they're young, it doesn't matter what happens when they get in, in college or as adolescents, whatever happens in those times where they're choosing and figuring out who they are going to be and who they're going to worship, all of those things that you teach them when they're young will come back to them, and when they're old, they shall not depart from it. But another living word translation says that if you train up a child in the way he should go, even when he... He is old, saying that even a lifetime worth of living for God will not build up enough hurts and enough pains and enough bitterness and enough struggle and enough times where you had hope and it was dashed or dreams when they were broken. All of the things that you walk through in the entire lifetime of your life, when you get to the end, you will not depart from the ways of God because you know that is the one God that deserves worship. That is the one thing that's been stable in your life. That is the one thing that's stirred and deserves the faithfulness of your life. And so whenever you get to the end of your life, the Bible says you will not depart from what you're trained that is good in God. And it's really important also that we understand that when God has a purpose for you, nothing can keep you from that purpose. Not good, not bad. I found out that even the mistakes I made, God used them for good to get me where I'm at. Even the things that I did because I was bullheaded. (laughs) Because I was difficult, I was stubborn. God took my stubbornness and used it to direct my spirit to where I am today. And so the story of Esther is one of the amazing stories in the scripture of God. And maybe you can read it yourself in Esther chapter 4 sometime but the story goes a little bit like this. There was one named Mordecai who was um, a f- obviously a family member of Esther. And Mordecai fo- found out that there was a plot against the king, that there were two men that kept the door of the king's chambers and that they that the the area where the king would be vulnerable was where these two had set up a plan where they were going to take the king and they were going to kill him. And Mordecai found out about this guy with a really weird name. He said, you know what, I'm going to tell somebody so he tells Esther who is queen and Esther's able to get the message to King Ahasuerus and the king has a log he has a log that where he where everything is kept what happens with the king's life and what goes on in the king's court and it's it's log that Esther tips off the king and they look into the matter and they find these two gentlemen and they take them out and they hang them for their treason and they're they're plotting against the king and then the story gets lost in history have you ever had something get lost in history that you did, you did try to do good, but the boss forgot about it, or nobody remembers it. Well, in this situation, the King of was having a bad night, and he couldn't sleep, and so he got up and he called for the the individual that's the keeper of the books, and he says, "Hey, I want you to read some stories to me about about the the out of the ledger." And so the guy begins to read, and he comes to the story of this situation where Mordecai told Esther, and Esther told the king, and they and they took care of these two these two gentlemen. And, and the king said "What? whatever happened with that was there any reward given or was there anything good handed out for them sparing and being faithful to the king and, and, and no there was no record of it and so he began to decide that okay as the king I want to reward the people that let me know that there, my life was in danger and so all of this was set up and there was a man in the kingdom by the name of Haman and he had it out for the Jews and Esther and if you follow me still and Esther and Mordecai Mordecai were Jewish people, and and Mordecai finally comes and says, "Look, there's a plot against our life. This guy Haman is building gallows to hang Jews." And and I want you to know that Mordecai was one of the one of the chief reasons why Haman was building these these hangman gallows is because Mordecai wouldn't bow to Haman when he passed on his pretty little horse and his fine pomp and circumstance. Mordecai said, "No, I only bow the knee to God Jehovah. I will not bow the knee to a." man. And so it bugged the snot out of Haman, okay? It just it just messed him up. He did not like it. And yes, I use words like snot over the pulpit. Don't worry. That's just me. You'll get used to me. So then what happened is Mordecai is the one standing while all the rest of the crowd is bowing and is like, oh that really irritates me isn't it funny how the one thing in life that's going wrong can irritate you when you have all the other things in their place have you ever been there where you have all these blessings in your life but you can't see all the blessings because of the one thing standing up standing out bugging the snot yeah the snot out of you (laughs) bugging the fire out of you and so there's just just that one thing that's driving Haman crazy and so he's like I'm going to get Mordecai I I am going to get him and I'm going to get all of his descendants and all of the Jews, I'm just going to take them all out of the kingdom. I'm going to get them. And so then Haman's brought into the king's presence, and the king says, "You know, it came to my attention that there was someone that deserves a reward, that did good to the king, that 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 was faithful to the king, and they deserve a reward." And he's like, and Haman's like, "Well, hey, I, he's probably, he's talking about me. That's I'm sure he's talking about me. Isn't it funny how selfish people think you're always talking about them?" whenever something goes goes good they think that they're the ones that are responsible for it and so he's like hey what should i do and he's like well you know this is what i'd do i'd put him on your best horse and i'd prayed him all through the land and i'd have i put a, a, a fine garment on him and and some nice clothes and i would really lavish upon him some great things and and so the king's like, you know, that's really good advice, Haman. I want you to go and I want you to do this to this servant who is a good servant. And, the, and Haman's like, here it comes. I'm going to get some nice suits. I'm going to get a nice horse. I'm going to get some nice stuff. I'm going to be rolling on twenties because I'm looking at rolling. I'm going to have a nice Rolls Royce and a big mansion. I'm going to get all this new stuff and the king's going to provide it. And all of the other things that he thought he was going to get. And so the king's like, yep, go and do as you have said and do it to Mordecai. Can you imagine the moment? I mean, just be there with me for a minute. The king just tells Haman to do all the things that he thought were going to be given to him, to his arch enemy. And so he begins to, I'm sure he begins to grudgingly mumble something along the lines of I can't believe I have to do this to somebody I absolutely detest but he goes and he does it and and then Mordecai is still dealing with all of the 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 stuff that's going on that Haman's trying to do and so after all of that goes on Mordecai comes to Esther in Esther 4 and verse 14 and and he says for if thou altogether holdest thy peace, in other words, he said in verse 13, you're not going to escape this. If Haman's plan goes through and he kills all the Jews, including me, you you won't escape it even though you're queen because you're a Jew. And he said, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their um, their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from Another place. In other words, he's saying, Esther, if you don't do this, God's going to save His people. There's going to be someone stand up for this moment. But thou art thy father, um, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knowest whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? In other words, he's saying, if you don't do this, God's going to find somebody else to spare His people, somebody else to stand up and be the person for the moment. And you have to be courageous enough to know that possibly you were designed for this very moment in life that God has built you and put you in position as the queen to do the very thing that that you see in front of you that you have to initiate and step in and be the one that says this is my moment and I was made for this moment so that's the story of Esther it's a very beautiful story it's an interesting story you can read it on your own if you'd like but we are a container. Did you know that we're vessels? The Bible calls us vessels. We're we're able to contain different things. We contain hurts, pains, hopes, joys, all different things. And and as a child, when you're raising a child, they can be sometimes difficult. Hello, somebody. Anybody have difficult kids? So I have, I have here the container of life that we are, and I have some things in it. And this is kind of because I was a youth pastor, I like to have visuals, um, but. There's different things in this container that we collect throughout our life. And I don't know if I can adequately explain each one of these. But what I did was I pulled together some things that I think we pick up along the way. And number one is we pick up the love of family. Amen. So as a parent, we have to learn how to teach our kids to put the right thing in their vessel. So the Bible in Scripture in 2 Timothy, it talks about Paul is trying to tell Timothy some really important things. And he's trying to lay out some principles. And he said, in a great house or in a large house, there are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. And so what he's saying is in an expensive house, there are vessels or there are utensils and there are chalices and there are plates and bowls and there are things that are made of silver and gold for specific and special occasions and you only put those out not when you're having hot dogs But you put those out whenever you have very special guests coming. And those are vessels of honor is what he's saying. And then there's also vessels of wood and just everyday average cups and bowls and plates that are used every single day. He said those are vessels of dishonor or vessels that are not as important as the ones you put in a cabinet and close the door and lock it. And you don't get in there except for Christmas and Thanksgiving and to have family over like we're doing today. Right? So he said there's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And he was comparing it to our lives as vessels. He said you can be a vessel of honor or you can be a vessel of dishonor. He said the vessels of honor are expensive vessels. They're vessels that are important and they're not given to just any purpose. They're separated and they're set apart or sanctified. They also have regular or, or cheap, cheap um, vessels that they use every day. And so what we have to do as parents is we have to make sure that we teach our kids that they're very special that they are they are given for a moment they're given for a time and a space that God wants to use them, and that they are not cheap to God that He died for them, and that He gave his very life for them, and they're honored. I know it's everyone's like trying not to laugh at something, but that's okay <laughs> um so what we did is we walked in to. Uh, my office and we grabbed a bunch of stuff i don't know if some and some of the stuff that we grabbed here is um is interesting but what you have to teach kids is that they have to know how to love obviously um the heavier things in life are the things that you um that you often have in your vessel that are important so we need to put love in their life amen as parents put love in their life. And then the other thing we need to teach them is how to have heart how to have a passion for something in life makes sense right um if you don't teach them to have heart if they don't if you don't encourage them or give them um some sort of encouragement when they do things like for instance when they they succeed, my son was one time. Now, you can't always give encouragement for things that are bad, but my son one time was very artistic and he took a marker and he he wrote on every piece of furniture in our house with a magic marker. And it was a permanent magic marker. So um, all the furniture was basically done, but he was very thorough. He wrote on every single cushion. So therefore, we couldn't just flip them over Because he had done all of them and he didn't just do one side, he had flipped them over to get the other side because it was important that his artwork be thorough. And so we walked in and he had marker all over him, all over his clothes, all over his hands, his face, and every piece of furniture in our house in the living room has marker all over it. And he goes, Mama, (laughs) like, look at my artwork, isn't this awesome? And he's always been a creative boy ever since but he um, destroyed a couple thousand dollars worth of furniture with a very very passionate heart (laughs) and we we were able to get some of it cleaned out some of it we were not we had to kind of get covers for the furniture but um but my wife couldn't like reprimand him because he was being creative you know he was like this is so good he had no idea he was doing wrong you know he was like i'm making art for mom and dad (laughs) So there are things we can't encourage and things we can't, but we had to be very care- be very careful not to destroy his creative ability, his creative desire, but also direct him toward the things that are better for his creative outlets. Amen? And then your vessel has to be filled with happy moments. Happy moments. So I, I don't know. I guess it's corny, but it works. And then, of course, we have to teach them how to and what to do with their money. Um, what is what is their money used for? And what does money mean? Money is the fuel of life. It really is. It's what makes life makes life go. But the goal of your life is not money. Money is what provides for life. But your life, the goal of your life, is the purpose of your life. And then a button. I don't know how this got in here, but no, actually what I did is I put this in here because I wanted to talk about prayer. Prayer keeps everything buttoned up. That's what I wanted to say. And as we put things into our vessel, we have to realize that we have to teach our kids how to pray. It's really important because you don't know, you don't know how important it is for a child to know that they can ask God for things when they don't know who to ask. Um, And when their vessel is filling up with things that become heavy, you have to make sure that you get prayer in there because prayer does several things. Number one, if you don't learn how to ask God for something, you may try to get it yourself and go about it the wrong way because there is a, there is a, a sense of life where you can have a, will, a strong will and go after something, but you can, you can do the right thing the wrong way. Have you ever heard that? And so you have to make sure that you're doing things and asking God if, if, if He wants you to do that. And, and we have to make sure that we ask God for the things that are most important in our life. And the Bible tells us to do that. In Mark 11 and 24, it says, it says um, whatever you ask in His name. So can you put that scripture up for me, please, and just stay with me? I'm in that section. Mark eleven twenty four. it reads this. And it's going to magically appear. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. And then in Matthew 7, 7-12, through 12, it says these words. It says, can you just keep up with me, please? I'm trying to move along quickly. Matthew 7, 7-12. through 12. Throw it up there quick. Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men... Okay, ask, and it shall be given you seek, and ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And then Matthew twenty-one, twenty-two, it says these words. I guess these are not in order for them back there. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. How many think asking God for something is important given those scriptures? So we have to know that God holds everything together by the power of prayer. I personally have a testimony of being an overcomer. Revelations 12 and 11 says that they be, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. In other words, that it's talking about people that had gone... To heaven and they were saying what were the two components that kept them and and directed them and number one was that God died for us so you have to teach your family how to pray and your loved ones how to pray and your children how to pray because that holds everything together but you also have to teach them what it means to be overcome by the blood of the lamb that Jesus Christ dying for us was the greatest victory that we could ever have and regardless of the defeats we feel in our life we have to focus on the victory that Jesus Christ gave us because that is our victory as well because he died so we could live amen and so therefore, the the, the the fact that we understand that as parents and we need to teach our children the, that very fact is that Jesus on the cross is your value. No one else has to give you value. No one else has to affirm you. No one else has to, has to touch your life and say, hey, good job. I believe in you because Jesus believed in you enough to die for you to give you a chance, just the chance to choose him. Not even a sure thing, but just hopefully one day you would hear a message or or you would listen to a song and, and your heart would be open to God and you would turn yourself to God and say you know what he truly did die for me all my value is in the cross and all that I need is in him and you would find your place to ask God for things because you know he is your supplier as a savior and in that, you would understand and teach your children that everything is held together by the cross. I don't know if you've seen a cross many times. Maybe you have all kinds of different crosses. But if you notice that the vertical beam is longer always than the horizontal beam. And the reason for that is because Jesus, obviously it's a Roman crucifix. It's a Roman uh, torture device that was created to 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 kill Jesus and take his life. And we know that he died for us. He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. He was... He was recovering us from the fall of sin. We know that. But we also know the example of the cross he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. In other words, there's a principle there that when we lift God up, we can do it in our praise, we can do it in our worship. But when we lift God up, he draws us up to him, pulls us up out of the low places, pulls us up out of the, the destruction and the hurts and the pains and anything that we've been through in life. If we will put God as our vertical victory in our life, he will lift us up out of the places that we come from, then we can have joy and peace and God can put us back together again and make us whole. And so the important thing you have to learn is this beam is always going to be longer because this is the vertical beam that Jesus, when he died, spread his arms open and said, I love you this much and gave his life for us. He hung on that vertical beam and raised his hands out to the horizontal, meaning that our vertical relationship is always more important in our life than the horizontal relationships in our life. It does. doesn't mean our family's not important. It doesn't mean our loved one's not important. But when it comes to choosing Jesus over anything else, we have to choose our vertical victory, amen, and not a horizontal victory. We have to choose Jesus over family ties, Jesus over traditional ties, Jesus over everything. He chose us over everything else. He chose us over his own life and laid it down. I think he deserves us to give him praise. I think he deserves us to worship him. I think he deserves us to put him first and say your victory is my victory and no matter what my life looks like right now I'm celebrating Jesus Christ over everything in my life I've lifted him up and he's drawing me up to him and if we don't teach our kids that that is a place where we find it, they will never be affirmed by him they'll never be affirmed by his death burial and resurrection so we must not only ask teach our kids how to ask God in prayer, but we must teach them how to be affirmed by God in prayer, that he is able, that he is well able, and that he has authority. Not only is he able to answer our prayers, but that he has authority when our prayers don't get answered. When we pray things and we think God should have Showed up by now We have the the understanding And we teach our children that He knows how to hold you together He knows how to keep you Even when the things that you thought You needed to stay in your life leave Those things that stayed Are what you need to get to your Moment of destiny and therefore God is the best At designing our steps So I put my trust in him It's not my will, it's his will And so therefore I trust his authority over my life I affirm his authority when I ask and I say not my will like Jesus said in the garden of Gethsemane but thy will be done you teach them to ask God for everything to affirm God in his authority that he has the right to change my prayer if I'm praying without enough knowledge I might pray, want to pray my way out of something that teaches me to be exactly what I need to be for where God's taking me. And there may be a moment that comes up in my life that I would be unqualified for had I had my prayers answered. In fact, a lot of our prayers are removing Jesus out of our life sometimes because he needs to work through that situation. He needs to help us to help somebody else. And so sometimes we pray prayers that would take away his ability to work out a situation. And so we must be careful not to just ask, but also to affirm God. And then we also have to teach our children how to attach and affix the name of Jesus to every prayer. That they need to know that God is the God who came and died for us. That there is one God and he was born of a virgin. Yes, I believe God is capable of giving a birth through a woman in a womb. And I believe that Jesus came as a spotless man and that he died for us. And in doing so as a perfect lamb, that his name means greater than just a historic figure that gave his life for us. That his name is what is the revelation of who he is. Jesus being the J-E from Jehovah of the Old Testament. And S-U-S means become our salvation. So when we say the name of Jesus, we're saying Jehovah of the Old Testament has become the salvation for us in the New Testament. And our vertical victory is in him. And everything that we are is now wrapped up in who God is in our life. And we not only ask him, that we affirm his will over the things that we ask, And then we affix or attach the name of Jesus to it so that there's authority and there's power in our prayer. If we don't teach our children how to pray with authority and with power, we're teaching them how to have a Christmas list. We're teaching them how to have a give me this and give me that. And I'm praying right now in the name of Jesus that we would get a revelation that our horizontal relationships are important, but they're not as important as knowing the power and the revelation of the name of Jesus in every area of our life, that he makes all things good. And so I was taught, and everybody's worried about vertical right now because it's March Madness I don't know if anybody follows basketball in here or not, and everybody's worried and wondering if Villanova will take it again this year or if it's Duke or North Carolina or whatever. I mean, if you follow basketball, you know what I'm talking about. And they're talking about people's verticals, they're doing alley-oop dunks and oh man, that guy's got amazing vertical and and I'm like, I'm not concerned about vertical. I used to I had a pair of Jordans when I was in high school and I thought they'd make me jump higher. They don't. I always had that little thing where I would put tennis shoes on when I was a little kid and like, mom, watch me. I can run faster. I can run faster with my new tennis shoes. She'd always leave the little thing on from Kmart so when I take off, I fall over and then she'd laugh at me. No, she didn't do that. She wasn't that cruel. So I got a pair of Jordans in high school and I thought man, that'll help me. I'll jump. I'll jump better. I'll have a better vertical. I found out white man can't jump still with Jordans on. But as I began to study for the sermon, I thought, you know what, what if we found out and we searched through the things of our life to make sure that, that Jesus was there. This is actually the J off of a, a Jeep that drove into the building. <laughs> There's a the wonderful lady that just had a, had a medication situation and she was pulling in a parking lot and she drove her Jeep all the way into the nursery um by the time she got stopped and i went to the rubble and while i was standing there god said to you know to me like it's going to be okay it's going to be okay but the devil whispered too i really feel like it was it was like a moment for me cuz i was standing there there's broken glass everywhere you guys all live through it with me and and i'm just standing there looking at it going why why would this happen why do we what's the point of of this and and i really felt like I I had need of encouragement, but I also needed to kind of encourage everybody. Hey, it's going to be okay. Insurance is going to take care of it. We're fine. And I looked down and I found a J sitting in the rubble that came off the Jeep. (laughs) This is my favorite. That's why I like Jeeps nowadays because I have this. But I found the J. and, and, And when I saw the J, I really felt like the Holy Ghost said, Jesus is going to take care of this. Don't worry about it. Jesus has got this. And so I grabbed it and I stuck it in my office up on a shelf, and every day when I come in and I have to do something that's difficult, I just look at that J and say, Jesus is gonna take care of it. We have to put Jesus in the life of our children, amen. They have to know that he's the reason why there's good things. And I'm going somewhere, and then we also have to teach them the value of going to church and what it means to be in church and the fellowship of the saints and to know what it's like to care for somebody outside your family and, and assimilate into something bigger than just your home life but actually and your desires, but actually care about people. Go help somebody move or go help somebody with a situation that has nothing to do with you, but go care for them and learn and teach them what that's like. And then we have to also know that even whenever we have done everything right and we end up with what's considered a problem child, Someone that doesn't turn out right or make all the right decisions. I want you to know that problems do not keep them from God's purpose. That God can still work in their life. Mark 5, 1-17 through talks about a man, and I'm closing with this story. Talks about a man who was possessed of devils. And so he lived in a place called Gadarenes, and he actually lived among the tombs. And I'm wondering today how many of us sometimes live in places that we thought were dead and places that we thought were were um, were monuments to our failures and different things that we, we, we thought were just dreams that had died and yet God will show up. And So God came to this man. It wasn't that he could get to Jesus. Jesus came to him. And so the beautiful... Thing about this story, and is if you put the scripture up there, I'll read a little bit of it because I think it's important. And they came on, came over unto the other side of the sea. Jesus was going with his disciples to this place called the Gadarenes. It's a, it's a gathering of about ten different cities. If you study the history, it, it's kind of interesting. But into the country of the Gaddarenes. Next verse said, and when they came. Out of the ship and when he was come out of the ship immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs he actually lived among the dead things and no man could bind him not with no not with chains or with fetters because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chain the chains had been plucked asunder by him. In other words, he had such un- Supernatural strength because of the possession of the devils that he actually broke the chains and the fetters broken in the pieces. Neither could any man tame him. Go on to the next verse. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. It's interesting that the word stones there is actually the word lithos in the original language, which means law. That he would actually cut himself with stones, and it it gives a story to us that we have to be careful that we not cut ourselves or not in any way knock ourselves down for the many times that we failed or the places that we didn't live up to, the things that we thought were law in our life. So it's important that we see that in Scripture. And then the next verse says this. It says in there, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he did what? He walked to him. This is a man that's full of supposedly about 2,000 devils. Nothing kept him from running to Jesus. You've heard that before. And worshipped him. I'm glad that word worshipped is in there. Because it tells me that this man who was stuck among the tombs, possessed of devils, no devil in him could keep him from worshipping Jesus. And so we have to be important and careful about what we know is put into the vessels of our life. And because we know that, we, we, we know that whenever we pour into things, like, for instance, if you have a pastor in your life, if you pour good teaching into the vessel, and you pour good things, that somewhere in that life, no matter where they get, no matter if they're considered the problem in your family, the black sheep of the family, if they have good training that is given to them in their life from either a pastor or from friends or family that taught them about Jesus, that whenever Jesus shows up in their life, no matter how big the situation is. The problem may be they will know that they can run to Jesus and they can worship Him, and He's their answer when He shows up. And then the next verse says this: "says and and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? And I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not." And then the next verse says, "For He said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit." Go on to the next verse. And he asked him, "What is thy name?" And he answered, saying, "My name is Legion, for we are many." Notice that whenever he asked him his name, he didn't ask him what is his names, because there was many. He said, "What is your name? What is the root? What is the authority that you have to be in this individual?" Because a lot of times we try to deal with things when we're coming to, to, to God that are actually secondary to the actual root problem. And so God wants to speak to the root of our hearts and the root of our life. And he says, I, I'm not going to deal with, with the things that you're doing and, and the, the issues that you have over here. I want to deal with the guilt in your life because all those things are attached, all those bad behaviors, all those poor eating habits, all those addictions are attached to the guilt that you feel from something that you felt you did wrong way back when. And now God is answering you and he's coming to you and he said, I don't want to know what the names of all your problems are or all your addiction I want to know the name of the one thing that's causing all of those different things so he comes to the man and he said what is your name singular and he said I am legion he said if I deal with that all the others go with it God's not interested in all the problems that necessarily are all around our life as much as he loves us and wants to help us in those things but he wants to deal with maybe the guilt that has all those things attached to it or the shame that has all those different things attached to it or the hopelessness. And so he says, what's your name? And he says, we are legion, for we are many. Go on to the next verse. He said, and he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Next verse, and there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. That means pigs. (laughs) There was a bunch of pigs feeding, and they asked, and the devils besought him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And at that point, I would have protested. Like, no, Lord, do not ruin the pork chops. Do not mess with the bacon. That's why bacon causes you high cholesterol, because there's demons in the bacon. <laughs> I said, Lord, no, not the pigs. But he said, and, for, and forthwith, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine in the herd ran violently, love that word, violently down the steep place into the sea. Just think about this one man with all those demons in him. When they went into the pigs, the pigs didn't even want to live and ran into the sea. And the thing that I want you to know is all of those things that the, that the pigs that ended up into the water and drowned, all those demons that were in them was not enough to keep that man from worshipping him. I need you to understand this story seems long but look at this and they were all, there, were about 2,000 and were choked in the See, sea. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing. All those wonderful BLTs running right off into the water. It was amazing that God let that happen. But I, I don't trust, I don't judge God for that. I'm just like, you know what? I'm still going to eat my bacon, but I still enjoy a good pork chop every now and then. But what I want you to know about the story is God didn't come for those devils. Jesus didn't show up on the shore of his life for those enemies and those devils. Jesus came because the man was a worshiper. And I want you to know if you teach your children how to be worshipers, It doesn't matter what's in their life. God will come for them. Jesus will show up on the shore of their life and he'll change their life and he'll make them new. Jesus came because he knew he was a worshiper and if you learn how to worship, that's an understanding of who God is, that he deserves my worship no matter what happens. Praise is performance-based. It's like the goal is made and so everybody praises the football team because they accomplished. But when we don't have the feeling of praising God because there are things in our life we wish God would have changed or done differently we can still worship him because worship is based out of knowledge I know he's worthy of my worship I know he's a God who can do all things and he deserves my worship and therefore I can have things going wrong in my my life and still worship God because he died for me he knows me he knows what I need he knows the love that came and went he knows my heart could be broken but I still worship him. You can be in the worst moment of your life and you can lift your hands and worship God. You may not have a praise at that moment. You may not feel like saying thanks God that's awesome. I'm glad a jeep drove into the church. You may not have a praise at that moment but in that moment I looked down and I saw that Jesus could handle even this. Jesus can handle even this. And you may not know this but I picked this story for a reason. Because whenever he got healed and delivered of those demons, the Bible says the city heard about it and they came out to see this demoniac that used to cut himself with stones and used to tie, they used to try to tie him up to tame him and he'd break him. And this demoniac was, was known in the countryside. They came out and when they saw him, they saw him sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. In other words, when Jesus does a miracle in your life, he makes provision as well. And so the interesting thing about this is he decided as they were leaving, the the people of the city were a little bit afraid. They were a little superstitious. They're like, Jesus, we don't know that we like What happened. Isn't it funny how they're okay with you whenever you're when everything's wrong and you're living among the tombs? But as soon as Jesus shows up and handles it, they're they're scared of what went on there. It's like the good happened and they're afraid of that. But when the bad was going on, they were okay with them being in the hillside. But so now Jesus is like talking with them and they're like we want you to leave. We'd like for you to leave. We're not comfortable with a Jesus that can do this kind of thing. We want Jesus in our box. We want Jesus where he's supposed to be and the rest of our life is all okay. But Jesus said, I'm an intruder. I know I've come here and I've done something amazing, but I want you to get the story behind the story. And that is when Jesus got in the boat to leave, the man that was possessed with devils came to him and said, I want to go with you. He didn't want to leave Jesus aside. And Jesus said, no, you don't have permission to go with me. I need you to go back into the 10 cities of the Gadarenes and tell them of what God's done for you. I need you to go share your story. It's like, Jesus, but he He's known for all these different things, and maybe some of you are the same way. I, I live in a town where they know all the things I used to be and what I used to do. Guess what? When Jesus touches your life, He'll make an example and a, and a beautiful testimony out of you, and you will actually go back and people will say, Him? I used to know what they used to do. I knew what she used to do. And they're like, yeah, but she met Jesus, and God changed her life. And He met Jesus, and God changed His life. And you become be the testimony to the place where you used to be a problem and so your problem becomes a purpose and so Jesus sends him away and says no you stay here and you carry what I've done for you back as a testimony and so he begins to share who he was and the story goes out among the cities and did you know that among those cities was the city of Philadelphia The city of Philadelphia was the city in Revelation, the sixth church of Revelation that Jesus spoke to. When God spoke through the man of God, John the Revelator, as he's writing Revelation, he spoke to the sixth church. And he said, here are the reasons why, Philadelphia Church, I love you. I love you because you're a little strength. You're not that big. You're not a strong, super powerhouse but even though you have little strength, you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. He said, you have have kept the word of God, Philadelphia church, and you have not denied the name of Jesus. And therefore, they were blessed. You know what Philadelphia means? We have a city named in our country after the Asia Minor city called Philadelphia, which is modern day Turkey where Jesus went to save the Gadarene man. Modern day Turkey. They actually took the name from Asia Minor and they named the city of Philadelphia on the Delaware River after that city. And in that city, named after brotherly love because of a man that was delivered by someone who cared for him more than his problems and cared for him more than his his struggles, but came to him and helped him get delivered. Because of brotherly love, a city was named, and in that city in 1976 was written the Declaration of Independence. All named after one man who affected cities in that area. And the church in Philadelphia was known because of a problem child who was resolved and touched by Jesus. Yeah, William Penn, the Quaker, started in Philadelphia, that's true. But the Declaration of Independence in 1787 was accepted as the Constitution of the United States. And could it be that that city was known for their brotherly love because of one crazy man who got delivered and shared his testimony? It could be that he was made for the moment. And that we in our country today are benefactors of the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence off of the theme and the spirit of a man delivered of a legion. Maybe conjecture, maybe not, but I do know this, that each one of us is known by God and we are made for a moment I would ask you to stand today if you would and pray a prayer with me. It's very important what we put in our vessel. It's very important that we keep the things in proper perspective. Your perspective is your reality, it's true. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. If your perspective is that way, it's true to you. So, Would you bow your heads with me and would you allow me to pray over you and ask God to just change our perspectives so that we have truth in our life? Bow your heads with me, Jesus. In this place, we need you, Lord. We need your love and we need your grace more than anything. And just as you have touched the lives of people that were established and set in place for a specific purpose, I believe each one of us has somebody that we can help, somebody that we can point to Jesus, someone that we can say, hey, Jesus is showing up on your shore today. Jesus has come to make the problems become a purpose. Maybe we can change our perspectives and we can leave here and realize that everything that's going on in our life, if surrendered to God, will become a great purpose for his use and his glory. I pray that over every soul in this place, that we would surrender to a savior and say his vertical victory is more important than anything horizontally in my life, more important than my job. I can get another job more important than anything else. Jesus said, if you're willing to leave all those things to follow me, you will be blessed. And I'm asking that there's a courage that rises up in every heart of this place today to be all that God wants them to be, to be designed for their moment of destiny, And let them not only see it, but let them feel their purpose, I pray, in Jesus' name. And if you receive that prayer, say, in Jesus' name, thank you. You've affixed and attached the name of Jesus to it.